Hello, non-apologizers. Not sure I want to give a name to my listeners just yet, but anyways, I'm your host, Nikki, and this is Still Won't Apologize, a place where we can have unfiltered conversations about everyday life. I want to take the time and say thank you for downloading this episode and continuing to listen. Join me every other week as I sit down with guests or myself, uh, discuss different paths that life has taken, maybe share some expertise information, or maybe just have conversations about random stuff. Who really knows? Anyways, I promise you that you will either laugh, cry, or quite possibly give you something to carry with you as you navigate life. As always, here's a reminder that you do not need to apologize for being yourself, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, it's Nikki, and welcome to Still Won't Apologize. Today, I am sitting with Alexis Opal, um, who is a blogger, amongst uh, a few other things that I think that you should introduce yourself with. Hello, hello, and thank you, Nicole, for having me. I'm super excited to like share my little story of the internet. Um, I, like Nicole said, I'm Alexis Opal. Um, I'm a blogger for Beauty Within the Hills and a retired social media manager and. Uh, Full, I used to be a full-time travel trailer lover, and we've kind of transitioned more to the rental side of travel trailing. So here I am. Oh, fun. So I know the last time we spoke, um, well, we spoke a few times through in, uh, Instagram and whatnot. You were living full-time in your travel trailer. Let's start there. Like, how long were you guys doing that for, and, like, what brought you to that decision? Yes. So we started full-time travel trailing in... 2019 um we came to that decision based on at the time my husband was in the military and we just like weren't sure what our next season was going to bring and so we were like let's do the trailer it can go with us if we get new orders or whatever we decide to do in our next season so we lived in it for about a total of four years um we lived in six different campgrounds across states between virginia and texas and kind of all in between that's fun. That's fun. So that's kind of what we're in now. We're full-time RVing right now in a motorhome, and we are um, on our way traveling into the Keys. So right now we're currently in Florida, and our decision was very much we didn't want to be stationary anymore, right? Like we wanted to see all these things, do all these things, but we have our jobs and responsibilities with our house. So we kind of decided that we didn't want those responsibilities anymore, kept our jobs, but um you know, roaming around the country a little bit more flexible rather than just like going away for a four day weekend to check out a city. Now we can spend some more time in it. Um, so yeah, well, I think that's great. Um, I'm happy to hear somebody who's done it for so many years and now you're on the other side of it. So that's kind of cool. Um, I like how you use the term seasons. Let's let's dive into that because I hear a lot of people using that word to explain different chapters of their lives or whatever, but season seems to be a little bit at least to me, it, it kind of resonates a little bit more. So I know that you've gone through all of these seasons. You talk about it on your blog. You've talked about it on Instagram. Um, let's start with your first season. What was that kind of like where you, you know, you were in school? Did you, I'm sorry, did you go to school? I remember talking and then you're like, I, <laughs> I'm moving on. So let's, let's kind of dive into that. No, you're good. So yes, yeah, last time we talked, I had talked about how um, my first big season that I walked through was in college. Um, I went through a really dark season um, when I was a sophomore, junior year. And I just like, 
I hit rock bottom. I really didn't have like friends. I didn't feel very supported by my family. And it was just kind of like one of those really dark seasons where I feel like some people get into and they're like, what the heck is going on? Where do I go? Where do I turn? Like, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this. And so that's why I started Beauty Within the Hills, because I eventually found a little staircase on that first big mountain out of that season. And I just started climbing and I was like, I don't care where it takes me as long as I'm going up and out of here. Um, and so that's why I started my blog, Beauty Within the Hills, because I wanted other people, other women, um, just other individuals to understand that, like, regardless of how dark the dark gets or how low the low gets, that, like, you can get out. Like, every, I feel like you can go through seasons multiple times in a year, over a couple of years, um, and it may feel like it's never going to end, but we can't all get out of it. And so I have walked through a lot of seasons since then. Um, and that's just like my like core is I just want everybody to know that like we can keep going. It's life is too short to just sit and stay in the dark. So why not use the dark to fuel our brightness? I love that. Uh, you touched in college. Everybody kind of I think ignores the fact of how much actually happens when you're in college as, as, an, as growing into an adult, right? You go from a place where you've had this home where you stayed, you know, every day, every night, and then now you're thrown into, you know, this whole new scenario where you're surrounded by people you may have never met and you have all these different classes, different schedule, right? Because K through nine or K through high school, you're kind of in a routine of how your classes work, right? You're go, go, go. Now you're responsible for your own schedule. Like there's a lot of pressures that come into it. And if you don't have that like support system, I can honestly, honestly see, obviously, oh my God, I could talk today. <laughs> obviously see where some of those things can kind of be a detriment because you do kind of feel alone in that situation. So let's touch on that a little bit with your college experience and how, you know, you what brought you to start everything, as you mentioned. Absolutely. So I went in to college having absolutely no expectations, no ideas. I was a first college or first generation college student for my family, both sides. So it was like a new world for not just me to navigate, but my entire family to navigate. And um, I feel like going away to school kind of like, obviously it cuts that tie from your family, but it cuts ties that you don't really see or know that are going to be cut and you're out there on your own, you're independent. You think like, I know everything I'm in college. Like, look at me. I am king of the world right now. And I feel like that's when we fall the hardest is because you are still such a baby in college. Like mm -hmm. you literally just came from having somebody tell you when to go to class and when to go to the bathroom. And now you are fully responsible for yourself on eating, waking up, going to school. And not just that, it's a being responsible if you're partying, being responsible with making sure your classes are taken care of. Um, maybe you need to have a job in college. Like I had worked three jobs when I was in school just mm -hmm. so I could make sure I got myself through school. And it's, it's things like that, that I feel like, kids don't know and I had absolutely no idea I walked into college and I felt flat on my face <laughs> right I think it's like a lot of things that come into play like the expenses right like the school supplies the books like I remember the first time my like again walking into college I'm an adult now I get to do this this is what I've worked for I was also first um generation going to college on both sides of my family as well so the support in that sense wasn't necessarily there and then I went to go buy books and it was like $2,500 for like five books. 
And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> we just paid for tuition. I also have to pay like for my books. Like nobody explains those things for you to you. Yeah. And you gotta like feed yourself. You've mm -hmm. gotta like make sure you have like your equipment that you need, a laptop. If you're staying on campus, you mm -hmm. gotta have like hygiene products, bedding, towels. Mm -hmm. It's oh, not having to, <laughs> and having to share a shower like with a bunch of people for the first time is not <laughs> it's not fun. No. <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot to take in when you kind of go into that. Um, so like after all that, within you started starting Beauty Within the Hills and you kind of mentioned how you climbed up and you felt you kind of found where it what it is that needed to help you get to where you were. Where has that kind of taken you into where you are? you know, where you have moved into and where you are now. So let's start into like the mid pass after college and all that building up to living with your husband in a trailer. <laughs> Absolutely. So I kind of, I started building myself back up. I'd say like my junior year. So then I had all of senior year to like really get my crap together. And I felt like, okay, I'm out of college. I've graduated. I'm going to get a big girl job. My husband and I are going to move in together. Like we've got this all figured out. And it almost in a sense, hurt me a little bit because like I started to get a little arrogant because it was like I'm doing so good for myself I pulled myself out of this dark season I'm at the top of a mountain and then like it just comes in waves like not long after my husband and I moved into our trailer COVID hit so that was like very shell shocking because now I went from a lifestyle of going to work eight to five Monday through Friday now I'm having to like discipline myself in being at my job on my computer where they're not like micromanaging me and just navigating. I feel like COVID in general, those early days were like wild because we were in Virginia beach at the time and the beaches were closed. Parks were closed. Like you couldn't do anything. And that was a really dark season. I think for everybody, because you're so quarantined off, you don't know what's going on. And that opened up my eyes a little bit because it was like, you you need community. You need, it's not just you climbing this battle. It's you and the community that you have built climbing this battle. You need to have a support system. And that was first, like my first kind of glimpse of that after realizing like, Oh, I'm not alone in this journey. Like it does take a team. Right. I think it was hard for everybody to navigate because nobody knew what was going on. Right. Every week was a different thing. And you know, you had one state telling like we had family in Connecticut and we were living in Texas and Texas had, you know, one version of it and Connecticut had a different version of it. So it wasn't easy to navigate for anybody, as you said, because there was so much misinformation out there of what was, you know, needed of us as, you know, a population. Um, those times, we, we got lucky because we were able to, we had just bought our house and it had a swimming pool. So we were able to actually enjoy ourselves, even though we were in the comfort of our own home, but also because my husband was considered a, um, what were they called? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue where he, he could go to work. Um, an essential employee, that's what they call them. So he was an essential employee and so were his coworkers and they had wives. So we were just like, well, our husbands are at work every day. So if one of them gets it, we're all going to get it. So we would like hang out with them and everybody would come to our house. Um, so if we didn't have that house, I can't say that it would have been as easy as it was as my husband and I talk about it all the time like it was hard but it was also easy and thankfully I was already working remotely at the time so I've already figured out because that first you made a very good point that first like transition the first like year I want to say it's so hard to be like okay I'm working from home I'm working from home I'm working from home because you want you're like oh midday shower or 
oh, I'll take time to make breakfast or I'll take the dogs for a 45 minute walk, right? Like it's so hard to kind of go, where are my restrictions in this? And one of the things that I kept telling myself, if I was in the office, I would probably be going to somebody's desk, chatting for 25 minutes here, taking an hour lunch, like all these things come to play. I'm like, I'm doing the same thing, just in different avenues, right? Changing the laundry, which takes me 10 minutes. That's a 10 minute conversation with a coworker and somebody at their desk, right? So that transition was also eye-opening for me because you also realize how much time you actually waste when you're in the office. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously though. Yeah, because it's like, oh, let's go see who what so-and-so is doing down the hall. I don't feel like working on this right now. So I'm going to go knock on their door. Whereas like here, I'm like, all right, focus. You have nobody else to talk to other than like, you know, what is it? Teams that we use. So that part was, that, that part was a little hard at first, but it's now I'm like, so used to it. And I honestly wouldn't want it any other way. (laughs) Like I would, I never want to go back into an office again, maybe once in a while. It's just like you said, to have that community and just be face to face with people. But other than that, I'm, I'm fine right here. Oh, no, I totally feel that the thought of like going back like eight to five is kind of like cringy because you're like, um, I can do everything that I need to at home. And then instead of wasting my 10 minutes talking to somebody, I can get ahead on my laundry or my dishes. Right, right. And I think it's 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 kind of this new, I won't say new thing because it's it's been coming up over throughout the years because I used to work remote. Um, every once in a while when I had my job in Connecticut when I was younger, but now it's more in full force. But I think that the biggest thing about it too, about learning or, or growing with the economy in this way is that we don't have to be face-to-face with people anymore. Like this, this idea of get out of college, go to an office, get that big girl job, be, you know, be in front of everybody to me was like the, the thing I took out of growing up, right? Like I needed to be this person the best of the best in charge of stuff. People know who I am. Now I'm like, I just want to sit back behind my computer and not have to worry about meetings and, and directing people. It's just this kind of weird thing that we're taught. And then you get there and you're like, wait, this is it. Like, I don't understand. Yes. I totally went through that. Like not, that was kind of like the next season that I had walked walked into was I was like okay it takes community and I was like let's see if we can find a new community so like my husband and I literally just uprooted our lives and moved to Texas for a job that I had taken and I again coming out of college you expect to be like somebody like you want to make a name for yourself like you get out you so fueled up on adrenaline and you're like I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do it with accomplishing so many things in my career and I quickly learned that that's not the case like it's it's a matter of the difference that you're making with the people that are like surrounding you it's not nobody is going to remember that you planned this parade or that you accomplished like best event planner like that's no that they want to know the difference that like you're how you like communicating like us we talk all the time on instagram and it's like it it truly is those point of contacts versus like accomplishing all of these things that nobody's going to remember in 15 years right so that was like my next like big like lull season because it was like it hit me hard because i was like oh my god i'm i've done this i've done this i've done this i've held this title but i'm like it wasn't until I became a mom that i realized that absolutely none of this matters it is nobody Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. And it's like, I think the biggest, I won't say let down because I am very proud of everything that I've accomplished in my career because I wouldn't have the career that I do now. But it's almost like 
this like letdown that I worked so hard, you know, and I reached at least for me, cause I, I'm a, I'm a little older than you. I reached a peak that I, that I thought I always wanted. And I got there and I was like, mm, I don't know if I want this anywhere. This is not as, as fun as I thought it would be. Right. Yes. Cause then you're working. So like it, what was that? Sorry. It's almost like a revelation in your life where you're like, maybe this isn't what I want. Maybe this is like, let's open, let's knock on the next door. Right. It's almost like you've been told a lie all, all your life. Like go to school, get good grades, go to college, get the, the badass job. And it's like, wait a minute, this is, this is not what I wanted. You guys, you know, you guys did this. I don't want to do this as well. Like I watched, you know, my parents work their asses off and, and be miserable. Like who wants that? Like what part of that is appealing? And right. And that's all we're, kind of in in ingrained to to do like or, or you know do you're you're told from such a young age that that's what you have to do yes we're like trained to kind of live in this set of structures and i think that's one thing that i really loved out of covid was like a lot of people were coming to realization that like i can do whatever the heck i want and that's where like i really saw like an uptick in people living in their trailers traveling like around the country because they're like well i'm working remote might as well take like advantage of it and see family go and like visit like parks get out and see the world instead mm -hmm. of living in this corporate bubble right that corporate bubble that i feel like is so 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 soul sucking i have a lot of friends that that work different um different types of jobs in different types of fields who all had to go remote during covid and you know last year they're trying to get people back in the office and it's like but we've been working remote for three years there's been no change in my work if anything i'm more productive and getting more done why do I need to come into the office? And at the same time, I like with that argument, I'm like, why do these corporations want to pay for the offices, the rent and all that that's that's coming into play here if their workers are just being as productive, if not more, at home? I, I don't get it. I like think about it all the time. Like I've got family where they're like, we're required to go in one day a week. And it's like, that's like a, just a massive waste of time for everybody to be completely honest. Like it'd be different if you were doing like three days a week, maybe even two days a week, but like being in the office one day a week for you guys to like kind of half-ass work because you're going to be going to somebody's cubicle because you haven't seen them or lingering in the bathroom. Cause you don't want to work on a project or taking your time walking back from lunch. It's just, it is a more productive world in a sense. It is. And I think the, the, the idea to the, I, I think about this too, when people have to go into the office, that time, most places have traffic, right? That time is wasted of somebody sitting in traffic could have been somebody working on work. Like why are, why are you forcing your employees to go through that? Um, and I think another thing that plays a role, like I know when COVID first hit, like there was a huge battle with mental health, but like, I feel like once people kind of started adapting to it and living lives a little more on their schedule, that it almost in a sense helps people's mental health because they can, they're a little bit more structured. They're not overwhelmed. Like when they come home from sitting in a 30 minute commute that you're cussing and screaming about, and then getting home and having a dish, like sink full of dishes, the laundry to do, dinner to cook, like your life's a little bit more relaxed working from home. And it really does help kind of that mental aspect instead of just living in the office for 40 hours a week right. and spending like 10 hours in the car. Right. And my husband and I, our commute was an hour and a half uh, almost each way for when we lived in Connecticut. Cause we would travel and some days we would travel together just cause his office was uh, near mine and it just made you know the most sense, but we would get home 
we would leave in the morning. I think we would leave at like 6.30 in the morning. We'd get to work or we'd leave at 6. We'd get to work by like 7, 7.30, leave around 3.30, get home at 5. Now we're taking the dogs to the dog park. Then we're cooking dinner. Next thing you know, it's 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And we're like, where did the night go? Because you have this four-hour window in which you have to do all these things to like, live like actually live right like i have i remember i hired a cleaner because i'm like i can't do, i can't come home and clean and you know be present in my marriage with my husband you know and take care of the dogs and cook dinner and granted i'm very lucky my husband cooks dinner he takes care of the dogs you know it's been like that we're very much partnership but still we both felt the same way like we didn't want to have to worry about having to do these chores and and you know taking care of the dogs or making sure we you know somebody's cooking dinner so like i hired somebody to come twice a month to clean our house for us because when Saturday came, I didn't want to spend it cleaning this, cleaning up after the stuff that I couldn't do during the week because I had two hours to ourselves every night. Yes. And it really, like it does, it almost like drives forces between like you and like your husband, you and like other family members, because you just like don't have time. And it's like the, one of the most important things I have learned in all of these highs and lows is the community that you surround yourself with. And if you aren't, if you're getting home at like seven o'clock at night, how are you going to like do anything in a community? You don't even want to like talk to your husband because you're like, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do anything. Like, let me take my bubble bath and go to bed kind mm-hmm. of thing. And now mm-hmm. it's like, you can spend your lunch, like chatting on the phone with your girlfriend or spending time, like actually intimately eating dinner with your husband and your family and actually building those bonds that are needed to kind of help keep us out of those dark seasons. Mm-hmm. It's it's really funny that you kind of mentioned like intimate dinner. There's one thing I had, my husband and I were just kind of, every once in a while we like recap on all the things that like we've been through or what we've grown through or, you know, move through all those, all those terms. And one of the things that I always bring up is I love when we moved to Austin because we had, we made a rule that nobody could have a job that was going to be more than 30 minutes away. And when I was working at my firm, I was the closest to home, whereas he had kind of like a 20 minute drive, but with traffic, sometimes it'd be more. And then when I got this job working remote, we moved closer to his drive. He had seven minutes to get to work. So like that's in his whole career, he has never been less than 20 minutes going to work. And one of the things that I was, we were both so like happy about is the fact that we can get up in the morning, take care of the dogs, have our coffee. There's no rush to get in the car, make sure the dogs are taken care of for the day because they're going to be stuck in the house eight hours by themselves. It's just this moment of like, huh, I don't have to start like getting ready. Like I used to, I can actually sit down. We can watch news. We can watch, you know, whatever a show that we haven't been able to catch up on, whatever it might be. And it's such a little minute thing that matters so much to the both of us because we never had that throughout our whole relationship. Like it was always, you know, quick, 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 go, go, go. We have to be at work at this time. So that, that freedom, especially when we moved to Austin, we were finally able to get that freedom in our schedules where we can just take the time and spend it with each other in the morning. Cause we didn't have that option before. And it really does make a difference. It's kind of like pivotal in relationships because you can like, it, it almost let it almost humbles you in a sense and gives you an opportunity to have some gratitude and the fact that like I can just sit here and enjoy my coffee with my husband and not have to stress about getting in the car for 45 minutes and then being in a mood by the time I get to work because 10 people cut me off or whatever your situation may be I like I dreaded the commute sometimes because Mm -hmm. it's just like I can eat 
you use that time and listen to a podcast and try to keep myself in a good mindset, but you're not fully focused. You have to focus on driving and then everything else is secondary versus like when you're at home and you only have that 10 minute commute, you can sit and focus on your husband, focus on like, what do you got going on today? Like, how can I love you better? Or just like, like you said, just watching a movie, like the, it really just is watching like, a video or something like just yeah. catching up on something that's so minute and doesn't make any sense. Right. Like I don't need to watch this in the morning, but Hey, let's, you know, let's do it. The commute thing was always the biggest thing. And I remember like we would try different things because both of us would be frustrated coming home and we would try to do different things or make, I like to call them rules, but they weren't really rules, but like things that we would do. Like if you have a bad commute home, try to leave it at the door. Let's start fresh when you are like, imagine this door as something walking in fresh, everything from the day is behind you. And that's also hard to do, right? Especially if you're doing, you're dealing with this, the traffic or the commute or, you know, sitting for hours at a dead stop because somebody else got in a car accident that can really play in on your mental health. Like you said, like you just see rage or you're angry or, and it takes so much for some people to come down from that and be like, okay, I need to be present here tonight. God forbid, like, I can't imagine if we had kids when we had to do that commute, I don't know if we would have been like good parents, right? Because we would have been so frustrated with the time that we would spend with that, have to spend with them and the moods that we would be in on our way, you know, on our way home. I, yes, I agree completely. Cause it's just like, like you said, coming down off that rage, like takes a second. Even if you try to leave it at the door, like you still, you've left your rage at the door, but then you walk in and like the house is a disaster or maybe dinner's not done like you were expecting. And it's just like, it like reignites that flame. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really tried doing when I would, because my husband was also an essential worker. So when he was coming home from work, I would try and greet him at the door just to kind of like, let's start the rest of our day, like in a good mindset, like together, like you can't be in a bad mood when you're hugging, like it kind of, what, I don't, I'm not, what is it? Serotonin <laughs> that like increases when you have like the love affection. So it changes that mindset. But again, having that option to just be in those moments is huge. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that him and I have both learned, especially, I mean, it's only been, you know, six months living with how we've been living, but those moments are now are more meaningful because there were times, as I mentioned earlier, where we talked about being able to do certain things and now we actually have the time to do it. So I definitely don't take them for granted at all. Um, so that was a nice little, little sideways chat there. Um, Let's move into, I'm going to keep calling them seasons because that's what you called them. So let's move into, you got married. I saw your beautiful pictures. Um, and then you you guys decided to to move out of the trailer. Um, you also, I, and I, I kind of want to touch on it. You also uh, had talked about um, you guys trying to have another baby. So if you don't mind, you want to hop, hop into that season right now? <laughs> Yeah, let's just jump right in. I'm going to like rewind just like a squeak because I feel like this is a really important note for like, especially young women to like understand. So like our relationship was not like the typical, you get married, you have babies, you get a home kind of thing. Like ours was like totally backwards. Like we had been living together for three years. We then had our son and then we got married. And I really kind of struggled with that for a sense because like I grew up very, very like religious and I have like since kind of like detached myself from religion and focused more on faith. And I've learned that like, it doesn't matter what order you do these things in. Like it's a matter of like the love and unit behind them. So like, I really struggled kind of not being married 
but having a kid, but I was like, it doesn't matter. Like it's a piece of paper. Like at the it's end of the day, it's a piece of paper. <laughs> it is a piece of paper. And truly like, it's a matter of the home that you're building and the love that you're building. And so we, um, after we had Baden, we had actually taken a couple months break from living in the trailer just to kind of like being nine months pregnant in a trailer is not like the most ideal situation. <laughs> Our family was gracious enough to let us live with them for a couple of months while we kind of got a bearings on what we wanted to do. And then we moved back into the trailer after having Baden and, um, since then, we have now left because we quickly outgrew our tiny little trailer. It was the three of us plus our three cats and our dog. And um, I'm sure you can imagine that it got tight very fast. And even being in a campground and walking around and like being outdoors, like it still gets tiring living in that sense. So we have since kind of where our, our family is graciously letting us live with them again while we decide like what we want to do next because we love trailer life. We would love to just live in like a bigger trailer. Um, but who knows what kind of season we're going to walk into next. So in the meantime, we've been renting out our trailer, which has been like a cool journey um, because it is our home. I mean, that's the only thing we've ever known our trailer as is home. So like we get to share it with people all the time and it is literally the coolest thing ever. I feel like I learned so much more from our renters and just talking with these individuals on how to just kind of like go with the flow, go with the waves, just let life come in, let life go out. I was actually just talking to a renter a couple weeks ago um, because I was telling her, I was like, we don't really know what we want to do. We want to be like rooted, but like, we also love this lifestyle. And she was like, if I've learned anything in my life is, is that it's not a matter of where your house is. It's a matter of who you're with. And, um, that like really stuck with me because it is like, it's, it's our family. Like we, we're still a family unit living in our tiny little bedroom or a family unit living in our trailer or that kind of thing. Um, and it's just, it is like, a matter of family. Um, and with that, I guess I'll dive into like the trying to like have more babies. So um, we've <laughs> jokingly when before we even had kids, we were always like, let's do four under four. Like you see these couples all the time having like kids like two under two, three under three, four under four. And we're like, let's just knock them all out. Like it'll be easier if they're all in diapers at the same time. Like just go through the like those seasons because it really is like you talk to seasoned parents, veteran parents, and they're like, it sucks once you've like potty trained the first kid and then you got to start all over. Mm -hmm. So we were like, let's just knock them all out. And um, I'm going to just bluntly say that like God's plan is greater than yours because we have tried and tried. And he's just kind of like, no, not now. Um, unfortunately, fortunately, my husband and I have gone through two back-to-back -back miscarriages. And it is, I feel like... It is, it's so common. They say one in four women experience it. So it's like, if you think about like your friend group, just having over for like happy hour or something, and there's four women there, one of you is like bound to kind of walk through that. And I feel so bad. Women struggle with fertility all the time. And like, I'm so grateful that I was able to walk the motherhood journey already, but it doesn't take away from the fact that like, it's hard, like, getting your like getting so excited it's like an adrenaline rush when you find out that you're pregnant you're like oh my gosh like due dates here how are we going to tell our family we can't wait for the first ultrasound and then it's kind of like 
getting a rug ripped out from under you, like aggressively ripped out from under you. And it takes a toll on you and your family in like a weird sense. Like with our first miscarriage, it was just the three of us. We were um, living in North Carolina at the time and didn't have any family. We didn't have any friends. Like we didn't have anybody to like help support us during that time. So like it was me, my husband and my seven month old in the hospital room like all day long and like you know how hard it is to keep a seven month old like occupied where right. you can't let them crawl on the floor there and it's just kind of like mentally traumatic because I don't want to be here I don't want my kid being here he doesn't even know why we're here me and my husband are trying to like grieve together and it's just it gets to be such a dark season but then like all of a sudden you just like see this light and it takes it takes women all like I am not like discrediting like the length that it takes to grieve because I like thought I grieved it. And then four months later we went through our second miscarriage and it was just like, it brings up things that you didn't even know that you didn't grieve the last time because you just kept moving. Like we didn't have anybody to help us with dinner or even somebody to just watch our kid. Like it was the three of us just trying to navigate the situation. Mm -hmm. And so going into the, um, this second miscarriage, it was just kind of like, you're kind of hesitant, you're kind of scared. And I'd love to know like the statistic, I don't know it off the top of my head, but like they say that like two back to back miscarriages is like so on not it's so uncommon, but it is uncommon because after your first one, like you already got the hormone in you, they say within like the first six months is like kind of the best time to try because your body's already kind of prepared to hold one. So like, I went in kind of with like some ignorance to this second miscarriage because I was like we're good we're fine everything's great like it's a little bit of scary not you we went in for our first ultrasound and we saw the pregnancy in there we were like oh god's great like let's just keep going and then the rug gets ripped out from under you again and you're like how am I going to get out of this dark season again like twice in a row why me why does this keep happening to me but it's like you have to grow through what you go through and unfortunately like some people just walk darker valleys than others. And I don't know why God's walked us through this really dark season, but I just want to be a light and share for like other women walking through it that there is light. Like after my first miscarriage, I was like very vocal about it on social media. And I had so many women reach out that they were like, I've also gone through this. And like, it gives me so much hope that you're so positive or like, I had people that like I've been friends with for years come up to me and they're like, I've had like two, three miscarriages. And I'm like, and you, you poor thing have been suffering in silence. I didn't even know that. So it's just like, again, walking through this season, you never know what kind of season you're going to walk through. And it's, you never know how you're going to get out of a season, but it's, it goes back to like my core meaning of just like, there is a staircase. You kind of have to like tap around like you're <laughs> blindly looking for it, but you can start climbing and whatever you have to do to get out of it is what you have to do. Maybe you start running, maybe you start working out, maybe you start journaling, maybe you start reading. I hated reading. I absolutely. I was like, the only time you will catch me reading a book is if it is an educational book. And I have read more books in the last six months than I have probably my whole lifetime because it's, it was not like an escape from reality, but like just reading motivational books is so empowering because you're like, if these people can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like I've said a lot. So 
<laughs> no, no, I think it's I think it's a good subject to touch on when we talk about the suffering in silence. One of these reasons, and, and I don't know if you know too much of the history of the podcast, but the reason we started the podcast with my ex-partner was her, her infertility issues and me suffering from endometriosis. And I remember the first, I the, when we decided that we were going to have kids and um, I got pregnant, I had an atopic pregnancy. Never heard of such a thing. And I was never taught it in school, right? Like it was completely... Um, you know, a surprise. Like I had to Google it because I didn't understand like what it was. And <clears throat> I was silent. I didn't tell, I had family, I had support, but I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want them to know that this happened. That I, again, that's like my personality. Like nobody needs to know, like it's, we're just going to act like it never happened. And then when you talk about the grieving part of it, I didn't realize that I was grieving when I was actually grieving. I just played it off as it was something else and then throughout the journey of my endometriosis and what I've gone through I essentially eventually had um hysterectomy almost two years ago I'm mean, no longer no longer in pain because of it but even that part like I had a doctor my doctor uh diagnosed me with uh grief how oh, what did she call it grief something I can't even remember what it is I've talked about a grief reaction that's what it was because I wasn't grieving mentally and my body was grieving for me like it was putting me in different medical situations where I wasn't it was forcing me in bad moods or making me depressed or making me upset but I would never find a reason as to why like I would have days where I'm like I don't know why I feel like this and that's what she called it she called the grief reaction so my body was forcing me to kind of go through like to feel the emotions if I didn't want to feel it we're going to make you feel it a different way like my body was telling me you need to deal with this and one of the things that I always take back in that situation whereas with Heather, my, my ex-partner, they are ex-co-host here. She was vocal about it all the time. She found an outlet. She would talk about it. She posted pictures. She always brought awareness to it. Whereas I was like, I don't want to say anything. And I, after so many different variations of stories, reels, TikToks, where women were sharing their stories, finally, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to talk about it because nobody told me about it. Like all these things that could possibly happen to your body as an adult, as, as a woman trying to have a baby, the things that you have to go through or you might go through with it. So that's when I was, she, Heather made me very comfortable in being able to express more freely what I've gone through. But I was very much like, I don't want anybody to know, like, because we were also taught by that by I want to say our parents right or my our mothers like don't don't announce that you're pregnant before three months because of the chance of the miscarriage because we don't want anybody to know that you have a miscarriage but in reality everybody goes through this like it's not because you're not barren it's not because you're barren or you can't have kids or whatever it is this is a natural part of life and a natural part of baby making <laughs> right creating life there is a reason these things happen and if we don't bring awareness to it women are never going to know that it, it's normal. Yes. It, it. So my grandmother had seven children and I think about like, how many miscarriages did you have in between there? Like, what did you suffer through silently that you never expressed to your children or your grandchildren? Because we, like you said, we were kind of like taught in a way to like, not suffer in silence because I don't think that was like the intention, but like, don't let other people know you're going through this. Like you can, we can all figure it out on our own kind of thing. Whereas it, it takes that community to walk through these seasons of life because like I said before, when in 
four women have a miscarriage. I am sure this statistic for endometriosis, infertility, women going through IVF, like I truly can't imagine like the statistics of realization of like how many women are walking through that because it's just, it's crazy. It's a statistic that you don't ever think that you're going to fall into until Mm -hmm. you do. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, wait a second, why did I never hear about this? Why was this never talked about? And you're kind of like, how do I grieve? How do I talk? Like, what do I do? Which way do I turn? And then you wind up, wind up suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's so cool to see this huge shift in social media where like women are like, let's band together. Like we are all in this, regardless of like what category you fall in. Like it's not normal, but let's normalize the conversation of it because we need each other to like lift each other up, move each other through this season. Like with our first miscarriage, I was like, I didn't like publicly announce that we were going through it, but I was just like, if you could keep my family in your prayers and I'm not like the type of person to go on social media like that, but I wholeheartedly believe that's what carried us through it because I know so many other women were going through similar things and just like keeping us in their thoughts, like help, help them get through the season. And if it weren't for that, I don't think it would have been as light of a walk to get through because it's tough and it's hard and being like secluded from the world. You're like, I don't know what the heck to do. And I just love that. Like women are getting so vocal about it because I have found some peace in just hearing other women's stories or talking to other women or just like talk, like in our conversation right now, like I think it's amazing what you've walked through. Like it's not an easy journey, but it's, it's amazing that you've come to a point where you can share about it and help another woman who's also walking through it because it is tough. And like the silent grieving thing, like I was just talking to my mom about this. I was like, I don't understand like why. And she was like, remember how I told you maybe like you're not resting without resting. Like your body like does these things where it's like, Alexis, slow down. Let's take a minute. How about we like figure out how to cope? Like, how about we give ourselves a hug? Right. Coping mechanisms, I think, is a huge part of that, too. And you just said something that I always joke about, like, whenever I get sick or something hurts or whatever it is, I'm like, the universe is putting me to bed. It is like, you are doing too much and you need to relax because, like you said, resting without resting. Because I can lay in bed, but am I actually, like closing my eyes, turning my brain off, or am I taking care of my body the way that it needs? Like my body's been telling me for weeks that, you know, you need water, for example, you need water, you need water, you need water. But yeah, I'm only drinking a cup a day. Like, no. And then next thing you know, like I don't feel well or something's like, oh, you know, cause I didn't water, I didn't water myself, right? Like it's this, it's this ongoing thing. Your body tells you in very different ways when you do need to relax, but I always do. I always do whenever I get sick, I'm like, this is the universe putting me to bed because I won't put myself to bed. Right. It's like a forced way to get rest. And I think another thing too, with, with the, the silent suffering or the grieving and the coping and all that is that's another aspect of all of this, right? Yes. There's grief and everything in every type of change or every type of mishap that we come across, but we're also not given we weren't, I won't say we weren't, some people are, but based on generational roles that we've gone through, there are different ways of grieving. My family, especially my dad, and you know, I was a daddy's girl growing up, but I was also treated very much like a tomboy. And it was very much like, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about. So like now when I cry, 
if I get into a moment of cry, instead of feeling upset, I immediately get angry because my brain is like, you're not supposed to be crying right now. Like you need to deal with this like, like an adult. Right. But meanwhile, it's like, it's okay to shed a tear. It's okay to be upset. And throughout, first of all, thank you for acknowledging everything that I went through. And in that moment, there was a moment when I made the decision to have my hysterectomy that I finally cried. So I had dealt with all of this for however long, I think it was like, I, it's about 22 years. It started when I was around 12, 13 years old. Um, but I knew early on when I got my diagnosis that we wouldn't be able to have kids. Like we would have to do infertility. And him and I had a conversation shortly after my diagnosis that we would never go down that route. It was not something we were very much, if, if it was meant to be, it was meant to be, we're not going to go down that route. But I never actually cried or showed emotion to it i would just move on to the next thing right or bury myself with work or whatever and right when i made the decision of it i'll never forget my husband to come home and i had watched i, I think i've mentioned this before in the podcast i watched firefly lane and um i forget the character's name but she's she plays the um god i can't remember her name but she plays like the the newscaster or whatever she is and she had a miscarriage and she's, you know, bleeding on stage. And she talks about how we don't normalize the conversation of infertility and miscarriages. And for whatever reason, that whole thing like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just started like in the fetal position, crying in my bed. I was like, I don't ever talk about this. Like I was literally losing my shit because my body finally was like, okay, let's start grieving. This is over with. You've made the decision. It's time for you to move on. My whole point, like in that, of, of explaining the story is I was constantly move, move, move. Let's not face it. Let's not deal with it. Don't stew in your shit. Don't allow this to like be your thing or like let it consume you to all of a sudden losing all of my emotions in one moment. And I did that one cry and I moved on, <laughs> but it took me, I think I about six years to actually allow that space for myself. Cause I didn't want, I didn't think it was okay for me to grieve it. And I feel like we don't really have a space to allow for like grievance. I've been reading the book. It's okay to not be okay with this second miscarriage. And in there, it talks about how most like physicians don't even know how to help you like grieve. They don't know how to talk you through it or tips to give you. And it's like, if physicians who are supposed to be body experts don't know how to do it, then how are we going to do it on our own or like you said, you kind of, you almost in a sense withdraw when you go through these situations, you pull yourself back and then you, you focus on work or you like push so hard in like one area of your life until you hit a point where you just like snap. And I was very much like that too. And with this miscarriage, I was like, you know what, maybe I just like need to cry it out. So like I got in a really hot shower one day and I just like laid on the floor and I cried and like, I just like moved done okay i don't want to like discredit the fact that like everything just happened but like letting it out mm -hmm. getting up washing my face and moving on like in a sense it allowed my body to like wash it away and you can still like touch on the grievance you can still kind of like hope with it but don't let your body like don't just bury it we need to mm -hmm. like let it out get it out and then keep going. It's this is such like a weird example, but it's like a pimple. Like you need to like just get it out and <laughs> right and let it, it heal. Like, yeah, yes, mm -hmm. that, yes, that is a great way of thinking of it. And I love that you were talking about like watering like yourself before, because like when I got out of like my 
the thick so like i feel like after you have a kid by the time you hit like the third or four month you hit like a really weird lull and then when you start pulling yourself back out you're kind of like okay i found like this rhythm and when i hit that point i bought myself a plant because i was like this is the hack to life i'm like if i can water my plant then i gotta water myself and this is like it like you're, you're i mean you're pretty much just like a giant plant you just don't have like photosynthesis but you need water our bodies are made up of like 90 percent water so it's like just sit down, wash your face, drink a glass of water, and you know what? Cry it out over the Kardashians if that's what you need to do. <laughs> right, right, right. There's, and honestly, there's no wrong way to grieve. There's no wrong way to self-care, whatever it might be. I, My biggest thing, I think, in all of this was I just didn't want to sit in it. I didn't want it to be this constant thing, even though it was. I mean, let's be honest. It was a constant thing because I didn't allow myself to process it. Um, I think there is a lot to go. You said something about doctors. And I remember after my topic pregnancy, I had to do it um, the way that I had to take the abortion pill to to end my pregnancy because it was so early on. And I've talked about this in the past, too. That was such a, a hard hit for me because at the time, my views on abortion were very much like not okay. <laughs> like I had a, a, a way that I viewed it and I, we won't get into it here. So that was a very hard hit for me. But I remember after the fact, the doctor saying, give yourself about six months and then you can try again. But just like, just like nothing, nothing, nothing in between those six months. No, like, like not that I just had a traumatic, traumatic event. You're giving me no coping skills. No, like I didn't even get a pamphlet going. If you need to talk to something, like I got nothing. It was like, if you want to try again, give yourself about six months. What? And it doesn't, that's not even including all of the side effects that are going to come from those pills because I, like women do have to like resort to that as an option. And it, I give you so much, like I admire like your strength of having to go through that because I can't even fathom like having like wanting a child so bad and then like resulting in an eptopic pregnancy. Like with this past miscarriage, like we saw the pregnancy in my uterus. So I was like, okay, it's not an eptopic pregnancy because it really is a scary situation if it's not addressed fast enough. So it's like having to first off you're already feeling all of these emotions because you found out you're pregnant that's an adrenaline rush now you're finding out that it's not even in the right spot and now you have to like resort to like the worst like option to make sure that your health is okay so and then there's no okay what's the what are the side effects of this pill how am i gonna feel what am i gonna go through what are like oh so what are you gonna go through i think i think it was a video i think my doctor was like, I have a video that I, I, I have to have you watch. And it was, it tells you that's how they explain everything. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is great. This is fun. So happy to be here. <laughs> but I had rage, like on that side of it, there was rage because I had to go into that. That was my avenue out of here, right? Like that was my, my only way out um, in this situation. Cause they didn't want to go in and do a DNC or whatever it was that they did because I was so early on, they were able to rectify the situation that way but it was a video i was like here's what's gonna happen and i just remember going oh great awesome <laughs> so happy to be here <laughs> it really does like hit you because you're just like well all right here's another like shit storm that i have to walk through mm -hmm. like how and at that point it's like you know that your darkest point's not even coming yet because it's like you're already on like the low and it's like okay well what's going to come after this now i've watched this video and it's like well how's it going to impact me what am i going to go through and now how do i navigate out of this and it's it's just becoming so normal now that like it's 
I couldn't five years ago, I feel like you couldn't just go to YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and like miscarriage or mm-hmm. epitopic pregnancy or endometriosis. Like it wasn't as common to see how other women are coping. How do I walk through this? I had absolutely no idea what a miscarriage felt like. And then I felt it and I'm like, why are women not talking about this? Like, why oh, are absolutely. we not each other? Mm-hmm. And that's what that, what, what it was is I had to force a miscarriage. So I was basically like, Oh, okay. This is the, the, the things that we don't talk about. Like I, I speaking of like social media, one of the things that I found very helpful, you mentioned five years ago, but one of the ways that I self-diagnosed myself with endometriosis was somebody from a blog. Like I literally put my symptoms in and this woman's blog, I was like running because I was, my whole situation started when I was running and I would get hip pain, but it would only happen like the week before I would get my period. So one day, and I was tracking it because we were trying, you know, we were trying at the time um, or it was after we were trying, but I was still tracking my cycle. And I noticed that every week before I get my period, I would have hip pain. And at first I was like, oh, this is because, you know, running and I, you know, maybe I'm just pulling something. And then I just Googled, I was like, hip pain, running, period. And like the first blog that popped up was a woman who literally had the same story that I did. She started with issues at like 12, 13. And I was like, this is, I have this. And I made myself an appointment at a doctor's office and the rest is history. Um, I love that, like the internet, like you, I feel like when you go through things and not just like women reproductive issues, but also just like you have a cold or like Mm -hmm. I cut myself, like you instantly go to Google, but like, I love this like influencer blogging world that we're entering into because everybody's sharing their stories Mm -hmm. and it's like, you can learn more from somebody than you can from your doctor as even though they may be the experts, like at the end of the day, like half the time, a lot of those physicians are also Googling it just like you are. (laughs) So it's like, all right, I've read about a hundred blogs on this topic. I'm pretty cons- like I'm pretty sure that this is what I have, right. and I can go in and advocate for myself because so many people like you expect these people to be the expert, but like at the end of the day, you're the advocate for yourself, not them. And so going in knowing that like this is what I may possibly have, like I feel like in a sense that can kind of almost help with like the grievance because you're like. I'm not going to sit here and go through a hundred different tests just for them to say, I don't know what's wrong. Right. Like it it alleviates all of the stress of having to go through those. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And the biggest thing for me is I was already going through it for 10, 12 years at this point. And that's what I went through all these different tests, doctors telling me it's not this, it's not that. And finally I had everything. I'm like, this, this is it. This is like, I'm going to strong heart, strong arm you into diagnosing me with this because this is what I have. Um, I hate to, to be the bearer of bad news, but we're coming up on the hour and I have to um, be mindful of time, but this was a great conversation. I'm so happy to finally get down and sit with you and catch up on all the different things that's happened over the last bit of time. Um, So before I hand this over to you for you to uh, let people know where they can find you, I have one final question for you. Um, what uh, What is the one thing you still won't apologize for? I will not apologizing for going against the American dream. Like we've, I feel like we've really touched on it so much in this like whole podcast is just like, follow these steps, go to college, get the house, find the husband, have the family. Like, um, don't talk about your miscarriage. Don't talk about your endometriosis. Like shush, shush, shush. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's stop living in this American dream that we have like, 
fantasize and let's start doing what we want to do. Like you want to travel the world, go travel the world. You want to live in your travel trailer with your family, do it. Like I stop letting these little boxes that we keep falling into dictate your life. Just live the life that you want to live is what I will never stop apologizing for. I love that. And I think that's a great message because of all the things that we touched on, all these fantasies. I won't even call them fantasies, but the things that people expect us to do. Um, and I think that kind of hits home. This was a great conversation about it. So before I let you go, where can people find you? Absolutely. And thank you again for having me on here. If y'all want to follow more along on my journey, um, you can find me on social media at Beauty Within the Hills, or you can find my website at www.beautywithinthehills.com. All right. Well, great. And um, we'll catch up uh, after this, I'm sure. So until next time, everyone, I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.